Chapter 9 of Triumphant Democracy by Andrew Carnegie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Triumphant Democracy by Andrew Carnegie. Chapter 9 Agriculture. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war any more. Isaiah. Ceres is the prime divinity of the Republic. To her the American makes his most profound obeisance. Upon him her sweetest smiles are lavished in return. In 1880 the principal nations stand thus in the value of their agricultural and pastoral products. At the head is the Republic, with three billion, twenty million dollars that is six hundred and four million pounds having marched in little more than a century from the foot to the head of the column russia with her immense area and hundred millions of population follows at a respectful distance with two billion five hundred and forty five million dollars that is five hundred and nine million pounds imperial germany with her two billion two hundred and eighty million dollars that is four hundred and fifty six million pounds is so closely followed by la belle france as to render the struggle for precedence quite interesting for france shows two billion two hundred and twenty million dollars or four hundred and forty four million pounds two hundred and twenty five million dollars being the production of the juicy grape next comes austria with three hundred and twenty two millions as the product of her extensive corn lands and hungarian plains and then sixth in the row comes the beautiful isle of the sea small but mighty with one billion two hundred and eighty million dollars or two hundred and fifty six million pounds a prodigious sum for her small area italy spain australia and canada come last on the list with a united product little more than half that of the great republic what will the next decade show perhaps no change in the order in which the nations stand but it is certain that further and further from her second and more removed from any will stand the republic god bless her no victory of peace was so long deferred or so complete when it came as the conquest of the soil a hundred years ago agriculture was in a little better condition all over the world than it was a thousand years before Indeed, it has been boldly asserted that the Greeks, Romans, Egyptians, and Assyrians cultivated their soil better than any portion of the earth was tilled even a century ago. The alternation of crops was almost unknown. The fields exhausted by frequent repetition of the same crop were allowed to lie fallow, as in the time of Moses. Drainage where practice was of the rudest kind, and in the sodden ground crops were thin and poor in quality and unhealthy as food farming implements were of the most primitive type the plough generally used was little better than that of virgil's time and only scratched the ground the sower with basket suspended by a cord round the neck walked over the field throwing handfuls of grain on each side as described in the parable and as shown even now by pictures in rural almanacs the reaping hook almost as old as the hills on which waved the ripened corn was the only means of cutting it, while only the thresher's weary flinging tree of burns enabled the farmer to separate the grain from the straw. 
in breeding and rearing cattle progress had been equally insignificant the quality of food given to cattle was so bad that attention to breeding alone availed little in improving stock the average weight of oxen and sheep sold in smithfield market has more than doubled since the middle of the last century a result to be ascribed to improved feeding quite as much as to increased care and breeding the primitive condition of agriculture in america a century and a quarter ago is well illustrated in the following extract from a work by the swedish traveller Kalm. speaking of the james river colonists he says quote, they make scarce any manure for their cornfields but when one piece of ground has been exhausted by continual cropping clear and cultivate another piece of fresh land when that is exhausted proceed to a third their cattle are allowed to wander through the woods and uncultivated grounds where they are half starved having long ago extirpated almost all the annual grasses by cropping them too early in the spring before they had time to form their flowers or to shed their seeds and the imperfect feeding caused the cattle to diminish in size generation by generation till they grew so stunted and small as to be appropriately called runts the advance made in agriculture and cattle raising during the last half century has been prodigious and much of it is due either to the creation by american inventive genius of mechanical appliances or to enforced european inventiveness resulting from american competition from the earliest times american statesmen have directed their energies to the advancement of agricultural arts washington with a burden of care such as has been the lot of few found time to superintend agricultural operations and experiments the importance of agriculture to civilization formed the text of his last annual message to congress in the last elaborate production of his pen written only a week before his death was a long letter to the manager of his farms containing thirty-two folio sheets of directions for their cultivation during several seceding years most of washington's successors to the presidency gave personal attention to agriculture one of the most distinguished of them mr jefferson invented the hillside plough and adams calhoun clay and webster forgot the anxieties of statesmanship and the peaceful pursuits of the farm beginning thus early the advancement of agriculture has continued to be the first care of american statesmen and the american people with the result that the republic leads the world today not only in amount of agricultural products but in excellence of agricultural methods one-fourth of the total wealth of america is employed in the cultivation of the soil and that is about the proportion which agriculture contributes to the industrial product statistics for eighteen thirty being untrustworthy comparisons cannot be made with so early a period but taking the figures of the census of eighteen fifty which was very complete we find that in the short space of thirty years the amount of improved land more than doubled the following table shows the extent and regularity of the progress made in ten-year increments from eighteen fifty eighteen sixty eighteen seventy and eighteen eighty total acres in farm two hundred and ninety three million five hundred and sixty thousand six hundred and fourteen four hundred and seven million two hundred and twelve thousand five hundred and thirty eight four hundred and seven million seven hundred and thirty five thousand forty one and 
536,681,835. Acres improved, 113,032,614, 163,110,720, and 284,771,042. Number of Farms 1,449,073, The average size, 203 acres, 199 acres, 153 acres, and 134 acres. It will be seen that the tendency is towards smaller rather than larger farms, notwithstanding the gigantic holdings which have been the fashion in recent years in some of the northwestern states. The average farm has fallen in size from 203 acres in 1850 to 135 acres in 1880. As this result has been reached under a system of absolute freedom, we are justified in assuming that the cultivation of holdings small enough to be worked by one family without employing help is found to be the condition best fitted for survival when the writer was in the northwest upon the huge estates there sagacious agriculturalists in the district predicted that the small farmer upon his eighty or at the most one hundred and sixty acres would eventually drive out the great capitalist who had undertaken to farm thousands of acres by means of others' labors. This is most cheering news, for it is manifestly better for the state that a race of citizens, each his own master and landlord, should inhabit the land and call a small portion of it his own, than that one man should be lord over thousands of acres and over hundreds of farm laborers. Political and economical ends fortunately unite in this the grandest of all branches of industry, in the nation. The centralization which seems inseparable in manufacturing is not, we may console ourselves, to invade the realms of agriculture. The state is still to rest in security upon millions who possess and cultivate the soil divided into small farms. Such citizens are the very lifeblood of the republic. The improved land in 1880 was but 15 percent of the total area, but even then, according to Mulhall, it produced 30% of the grain of the world. The capital invested in farms and farming was $10,600,000,000, that is, £2,120,000,000, being more than three times as much as that invested in manufacturing, the next largest industry. The difference between acres and farms and acres improved is that the former includes woodland and forest, which, although owned by the farmer, has not yet been cleared for crops. This is, on the average, nearly one-half the farm, so that the productive acreage of the country may be, and no doubt soon will be, largely increased by the present farmers without adding greatly to the number of farms. The total number of acres under crop is 284,771,042 acres, of which permanent meadows, pastures, Orchards and vineyards comprise 61,703,898 acres, 
the remainder being tilt-land and land sown with grass in rotation of crops it was a great survey at the beginning of the century to look back over sixty-five thousand square miles that had been brought under cultivation in the preceding decade between eighteen fifty and eighteen sixty however two hundred and fifteen thousand square miles had been turned into farms and between eighteen seventy and eighteen eighty two hundred ninety seven thousand square miles thus in ten years territory equal in extent to great britain and france combined was added to the cultivated area in america even yet the progress continues during the last year the sales of public lands to settlers exceeded sixteen million acres an area as great as belgium and denmark combined in dakota alone the new farms of eighteen eighty three exceeded six million acres one-third of all scotland in the face of such facts it is clear that the americans are the greatest agricultural people of the world and that no other race has spread so diligently and so profitably over so great an area in eighteen eighty an inquiry was made for the first time in the united states into the tenure of farms whether cultivated by their owners rented or worked on shares with a result shown in the following table under three acres in farms worked by owners two thousand six hundred and one or sixty per cent rented eight hundred and seventy five or twenty per cent worked on shares eight hundred and seventy six or twenty per cent three and under ten acres eighty five thousand four hundred and fifty six worked by owners or sixty three per cent rented twenty two thousand nine hundred and four or seventeen per cent worked on shares twenty six thousand five hundred and twenty nine or twenty per cent ten and under twenty acres in farms one hundred and twenty two thousand four hundred and eleven worked by owners or forty eight per cent forty one thousand five hundred and twenty two rented or sixteen per cent worked on shares ninety thousand eight hundred and sixteen or thirty six per cent from twenty to under fifty acres four hundred and sixty thousand four hundred and eighty six worked by owners or fifty nine per cent ninety seven thousand three hundred and ninety nine rented or thirteen per cent two hundred and twenty three thousand six hundred and eighty nine worked on shares or twenty eight per cent fifty and under one hundred acres eight hundred and four thousand five hundred and twenty two worked by owners or seventy eight per cent sixty nine thousand six hundred and sixty three rented or seven per cent worked on shares one hundred and fifty eight thousand six hundred and twenty five or fifteen per cent one hundred and under five hundred acres one million four hundred and sixteen thousand six hundred and eighteen worked by owners or eighty four per cent eighty four thousand six hundred and forty five rented or five per cent one hundred and ninety four thousand seven hundred and twenty worked on shares or eleven per cent five hundred and under one thousand acres sixty six thousand four hundred and forty seven worked by owners or eighty seven per cent three thousand nine hundred and fifty six rented or five per cent 
5,569 worked on shares, or 8%. For a thousand acres and over, 25,765 were worked by owners, or 90%. 1,393 farms were rented, or 5%. 1,420 farms were worked on shares, or 5%. This corroborates the current belief that the majority of farms in America are cultivated by their owners, nearly three million of the four million farms being of this class. Eight percent of the total were cultivated upon shares. The farms most frequently rented for money are the smallest farms, and their number steadily decreases. Only in the South does the system of renting, especially for a share in the proceeds, prevail to any great extent. The system has grown up since the war, in consequence of the subdivision of the great plantations, most of the lessees being colored people. It marks a temporary stage of development, seceding slavery, and is certain to pass away as the renters are able to buy the land from the former owners, their old masters. The free play of individual forces tends to make the cultivator of the soil its owner. There is no law of primogeniture, or of entail in America and the transfer of land is scarcely, if any, more difficult than the sale or purchase of a horse. The reputed value of farmland is $19.21 per acre, nearly four pounds, not much more than the rent per annum of some of the land in Britain. It ranges from $34, nearly seven pounds, in the North Atlantic group of states, to $7.35, or 1.10 pounds, in the states of the southern central group. From 1850 to 1860, the value of farms more than doubled, while population increased only 35%. On account of the Civil War, the increase from 1860 to 1870 was less than that of population, but from 1870 to 1880, it rose 37%, which was 7% greater than the increase of population so that the tendency hitherto has been for land to increase in value even faster than the population. This has made the farmer of America highly prosperous during the past thirty years, for even if he has only made a living for himself and family from the produce and improved his land, he stands today with a property worth three and a half times its value thirty years ago. For every five hundred dollars, one hundred pounds, invested in his farm, he has $1,750, or £350, today. Had he rented his farm from some huge landlord, this unearned increment would have gone to the landlord, and the worker would have been left where he began, except for the savings in money he might have been able to make. The rise of values going on around him, which he did so much to produce, would have been of no benefit to him. He would not have been half the man he is, nor worth half as much to the state. That state alone is absolutely secure from violent measures whose soil belongs to the mass of its well-doing citizens. Improved implements and machinery have revolutionized agriculture in America. Their value in 1830 is estimated at but $150 million, or 30 million pounds. In 1850, it exceeded 450 million, that is 90 million pounds. The widespread use of machinery is mainly due to three causes. The scarcity of labor, which has in turn stimulated the fertility of American invention, and the readiness, 
amounting almost to anxiety of the farmer to adopt the latest and best devices then the greater portion of the soil under cultivation is level and without obstructions and is admirably adapted for the use of machinery it is no wonder that under such conditions america should be the foremost agricultural country of the world no other country on earth has a chance in comparison even gigantic russia grows not much more than half as much here is the record as given by mulhall in this table we have the country the acres under grain and the production in bushels the united states one hundred and eighteen million acres and two billion six hundred and ninety eight million bushels for russia one hundred and fifty eight million acres one billion five hundred and eighty five million bushels germany forty three million acres nine hundred and ninety million bushels for france forty million acres under grain production in bushels eight hundred and forty million austro-hungary thirty five million acres under grain five hundred and twenty million bushels united kingdom twelve million five hundred acres four hundred and forty five million bushels spain fifteen million acres three hundred million bushels for italy eighteen million acres under grain two hundred and seventy million bushels in production for canada and australia together fourteen million acres a hundred and forty million bushels in production just cast your eye over the march of the last thirty years and satisfy yourself that the republic has travelled with its seven-leagued boots on in eighteen fifty only eight hundred and sixty seven million bushels were produced ten years more one thousand two hundred million ten more one thousand four hundred million and finally ten more in eighteen eighty two thousand seven hundred million bushels from the generous bosom of mother earth of this aggregate one thousand seven hundred and fifty millions were maize four hundred and sixty millions wheat and four hundred and seven millions oats the maize or indian corn crop is therefore double that of wheat and oats maize which is mostly consumed at home is the staff of life for the hog and horses and cattle are also fed upon it to a great extent throughout the country nevertheless the export trade has grown year after year twenty years ago not ten million dollars or two million pounds worth were sent abroad in eighteen eighty it was more than five times that sum a grand sight is a field of corn on a hot day i remember being upon a train in southern illinois which on account of obstructions on the line had to lie upon a siding for several hours nothing but corn was in sight over the great level plain i wandered among the immense stalks some at least fourteen feet high a heavy dew had fallen during the night and the hot morning sun was now well up in the heavens crack after crack resounded like pistol shots it was the corn bursting its coverings i imagined i could actually see it grow i know i felt it do so what would america do without its maize and cotton the two pillars upon which its agricultural supremacy so largely depends she is pretty sure of the future however for upon no other portion of the globe can these be grown to such advantage england is more interested in the wheat than in the maize crop 
well the increase in this indispensable cereal has been even greater than in any other crop it is doubtful whether any agricultural growth was ever as rapid as that of wheat in this country during the past thirty years down to eighteen fifty nine the republic used to import wheat at intervals from europe yet she is now the purveyor of the staff of life for mankind producing one-fourth of the world's crop in eighteen fifty only one hundred million bushels were grown in eighteen sixty the crop was one hundred and seventy-three millions not bad being an increase of seventy per cent in ten years but in eighteen seventy the amount was two hundred and eighty-seven millions and in eighteen eighty we find the crop four hundred and fifty-nine millions it exceeded five hundred millions of bushels last year twenty-five years ago in eighteen sixty the export of wheat and flour averaged between six and eight millions sterling in eighteen eighty one hundred and ninety million dollars or thirty-eight million pounds worth were sent forth of which britain alone received one hundred and seventy-five million dollars or thirty five million pounds the reported decrease in acreage under wheat this year in eighteen eighty five on account of low prices will prove in my opinion to be only temporary pending the adjustment to a standard of lower values this great cereal will be grown and delivered in british ports in constantly increasing quantities at prices even lower if necessary than those which have surprised so many eminent authorities the British commissioners who recently visited us and reported upon the agricultural situation did not allow for the shrinking of the excessive margins of profit which the growth in transportation and merchandising of wheat have hitherto yielded at every stage of the operation. I differ from most of the foreign experts and believe that a continuance of the present depression throughout the world will send plenty of American wheat to the ports of Britain at lower prices than those of today we shall see the republic has never yet had to show what it could do when put to it one is surprised to find that oats are so largely grown in america for so little is heard of that modest grain compared with its much talked of neighbor the northwestern states are admirably adapted to its growth and instead of scotch and irish oatmeal being imported for human food as it was until recently the native article is found fully equal to it in quality such was proved to be the case at the last Paris exhibition. Indeed, nothing surprised me so much as to hear my Scotch visitors to America three years ago declare that American oatmeal porridge surpassed the Dunfermline article. The other indispensable commodity for a Scotchman, however, they pronounced miserable. Neither bourbon nor old Mangahila found favor with them. The verdict was that only by a stretch of politeness almost bursting was the stuff worthy to take the revered name of whiskey this however is a matter of taste for more topers in the world prefer the republican to the queer scotch article the production of barley increases rapidly the census of eighteen fifty shows that only five million bushels were grown then in ten years it had increased to sixteen millions in ten more in eighteen seventy to twenty nine millions while eighteen eighty shows forty four millions of bushels so much for bold johnny barleycorn the acreage under barley in 1880 yield per acre 22 bushels the united kingdom had then 660,000 acres more devoted to this grain so the barley crop of america is not yet equal to that of the old home 
but its increase of growth here is extraordinary for between eighteen fifty and eighteen sixty it was two hundred and six per cent it more than doubled in ten years california is the leading state in barley and new york comes next in the united states in eighteen eighty one million eight hundred and forty thousand acres were sown with rye product twenty million bushels rye does not figure in the returns for britain which are before me the authorities say that very little is now grown there after all it is not maize cotton wheat oats barley or rye which is ruler in the agricultural kingdom but a more modest grass hay is the most valuable of all american crops the amount cut in eighteen eighty exceeded thirty-six millions of tons grown on more than thirty millions of acres it has kept pace with its rivals for in eighteen fifty not quite fourteen million tons were grown even twenty years ago but nineteen millions were reported so that it has nearly doubled in two decades sorghum is the only important plant of recent introduction though a stranger it seems to thrive in its new home and its cultivation spreads rapidly in eighteen eighty more than twenty eight million gallons of molasses were made from it more than half a gallon for every man woman and child in the country we now come to the great southern staple king cotton an ancient and honourable potentate truly for does not herodotus tell us four hundred and fifty years b c that the indians were then weaving it into cloth and did not caesar cover the forum and the sacred way too with awnings of cotton to shade the dignitaries of the imperial city from the rays of the sun in sixteen twenty one the first cotton was planted in america it did not take kindly to the climate many experiments failed although repeated at different times and at various place and more than a hundred and fifty-seven years elapsed before a pound of cotton was exported in seventeen eighty four a small quantity of cotton was imported into liverpool where it was at first considered as an illegal transaction as it was not supposed possible for it to have been the growth of any of the states of the union and when about the same period a duty was proposed in the united states congress on the import of foreign cotton it was declared by one of the representatives from south carolina that the cultivation of cotton was in contemplation by the planters of south carolina and georgia and that if good seed could be procured it might secede we ought never to give up readily a new thing whether plant or idea for success often lies just beyond the last failure for the six years following the exports to england were respectively one hundred and nine three hundred and eighty nine and then eight hundred and forty two bags after independence in seventeen seventy six cotton began to attract special attention whitney's gin for separating the seeds from the fibre removed the only obstacle to its almost unlimited production a tariff upon the importation of cotton goods led to the manufacture of cloth at home and cotton cultivation receiving a further impetus america soon became the leading source of supply for the world not to go back further than half a century we find that in eighteen thirty nine hundred and sixty six thousand eight hundred and forty five bales were grown in eighteen eighty the crop was five million seven hundred and fifty seven thousand three hundred and ninety seven bales valued at two hundred and seventy five million dollars or fifty five million pounds of the eighteen thirty crop thirty million dollars or six million pounds was exported of the eighteen eighty crop 
$220 million, or £44 million, of which England took nearly two-thirds. The latter, however, included manufactured cotton, of which in 1830 there was none, so that the value of the cotton exported exceeded that of wheat by $30 million, £6 million. Tobacco growing still continues to prosper in America, although surely the coming man is not to smoke. Chewing is already a thing of the past, and the pipe and cigar are doomed. Before many generations, the smoker will be considered as disgusting as the chewer is today. America increased her crop 80% from 1870 to 1880, and 638,000 acres are now devoted to the weed. Its value in 1880 was $3.5 million sterling. Brother Jonathan makes a fair division of his tobacco with the rest of mankind, for he sends just about half of it abroad, and smokes the other half himself. Take a cigar, he says, and hands one to less favored nations, reserving only one for himself. Generous fellow, Jonathan. We must not ignore the so-called fruit of old Ireland, the potato, which, however, is a native, true American, in origin. America does her share in growing potatoes, those apples of the earth. In 1880, she produced 203 millions of bushels, a little more than four bushels to every man, woman, and child. I do not believe I had my fair proportion, which for every adult must be six bushels, nor do I think anyone in America will admit having devoured his share. He will rather dispute the census returns. As none were exported, we must pass as a potato-eating people, or suspect our fellow citizens of Irish descent of having eaten more than their share, which they probably did. The enormous quantity of fruit grown and consumed in America surprises the visitor. Notwithstanding its cheapness, the orchard products in 1880 were valued at 52,500,000, or 10,500,000 pounds, and there was imported an average of six pounds of fruit to each person worth altogether about $20 million, or £4 million. The total value of the year's product of Uncle Sam's farm in 1880 was $2,225,000,000, or £445,000,000, and it was not a good year for prices either. He has netted much more than that since, more than $2,500,000,000, or £500,000,000, Indeed, Mulhall values the total agricultural products for 1884 at no less than $2,721,500,000, or £544,300,000. Let us now glance at the livestock upon his gigantic farm and their products and see what he has to show us there. He first asks us to review his hogs, a motley mass ranging from the Patrician Howard he of Bedford, N.P., down to the plebeian, long-snouted grunter, which must root or die. Fifty-six and three-quarter millions march past. Imagine their salute. Every man, woman, and child in the land owns one hog and a little more. Now comes his cattle with their glowering eyes, and the line stretches till nearly forty-six millions are counted. Eighteen and a half millions of them are milch cows, the most widely scattered and most equally diffused of all his beasts. Throughout America, every family of three persons have one milch cow and a fraction of another one. Exhibits his sheep next, 45 millions of them, and enough left over to stock an ordinary country. Not quite a sheep to every inhabitant, 
but pretty near. Will it please you now to look at Uncle Sam's horses? Trot them out. Twelve millions and a half of these useful, noble animals, ranging from the fastest trotters in the world, from Maud S., with a record of a mile and two minutes, eight and three-quarter seconds, to the half-wild tacky of Florida. There they are, followed by more than two millions of mules and asses, which closed the long procession. The census proves that, on the average, every family in the country really owns a horse, a cow, four pigs, and three sheep. Not a bad start for a young farmer. Where the livestock upon Uncle Sam's estate ranged five abreast, each animal estimated to occupy a space five feet long and marched round the world, the head and tail of the procession would overlap. This was the host of 1880. That of 1885 would be ever so much greater, and still it grows day by day, and the end of its growth no man could foretell. Having reviewed the livestock, let me now conduct you to the dairy to see the butter and cheese departments. 400,000 tons of butter were made in 1880, an average of nearly 16 pounds for every man, woman, and child in the country. Ah, the Yankees' bread is buttered in more ways than one. In 1870, 80,000 tons of cheese were made. In 1880, 120,000 tons. Since the introduction of the factory system, cheese manufacturing has increased enormously. The American does not care for cheese as his progenitor does. What he makes he sends largely abroad to figure as Stilton, Cheshire, or Cheddar in Britain, for he manufactures all brands, and you cannot tell the Republican article from its monarchical prototype. The cheese exported in 1881 was worth more than three and a quarter million sterling. These statistics laid before the National Butter, Cheese, and Egg Association at its late meeting in Chicago represent that the annual value of dairy products in this country is a hundred million dollars, or twenty million pounds, while the amount of capital interested in cows is said to be greater by forty million dollars, or eight million pounds, than that invested in bank stocks. What does the American do with all the products of this livestock and dairy? First, he supplies his own wants, and these are great, for fifty-six millions of the most prosperous people in the world, every one of them determined to have the best he can afford, and accustomed to the most expensive food, consume an enormous amount. The surplus he exports, and Britain is by far the largest recipient, taking in many articles half of all he has to spare. In 1870 began a new traffic, the exportation of living cattle, of which $400,000, £80,000 worth, were sent to Britain. In 1880, this trade exceeded $12,500,000, £2,500,000. The exportation of fresh beef was tried in 1875, and in 1880 the value of this article exported was $7,500,000, £1,500,000. The American hog has been a prime favorite in Europe during the past 20 years. In 1860, the amount of hams and bacon exported was only $2,050,000, £410,000. In 1880, the demand was for more than $50 million, or £10 million, worth. Britain takes the greater part. What a prejudice against American hams and bacon formerly existed there. I remember walking one day through a curer's establishment in an English town where the pigs of the district were killed 
and it was supposed to deal only in the genuine home article he furnished no doubt the much praised ham and sweet bacon of which my friends boasted as so different from the foreign article a pile of half-hidden boxes marked chicago caught my eye i called the proprietor aside and asked whether the contents were superior or inferior to the domestic he smiled and said sometimes the one and sometimes the other adding we are queer folk the american article now stands upon its merits but many a ton of it is still sold as genuine english eighty-five million dollars seventeen million pounds is the annual revenue of uncle sam from his pigs but little mutton is sent abroad the value of the exports in eighteen eighty four was less than three hundred thousand dollars sixty thousand pounds but with the steady and rapid improvement in the breed of sheep which is taking place in america we may anticipate at no distant date a large trade in this article which australia has found so profitable twenty years ago the mutton of america was not worth eating it is still inferior to that of britain but it is growing better every year whether it can ever reach the grade of the best scotch is doubtful but the improvement in the sheep here is shown by the increase of wool which is beyond the increase in the number of sheep between eighteen fifty and eighteen sixty the increase of wool production was fourteen per cent during the next decade it was sixty six per cent and between eighteen seventy and eighteen eighty no less than one hundred and forty seven per cent the average fleece in eighteen fifty was but two three tenths pounds in eighteen eighty it had nearly doubled four four tenths pounds the fleece of a sheep in the north averages more than five pounds but in the genial south the animal does not need so warm a coat if god tempers the wind to the shorn lamb he also adapts the fleece to the climate and sees that the southern sheep is not overburdened in this matter of sheep's covering one agrees with the sage who said that although the lord does temper the wind to the shorn lamb the lord considers it man's business not to shear too close wool growing in america shows the usual increase in eighteen thirty the fleece was but eighteen millions of pounds in eighteen fifty fifty two million in eighteen sixty sixty million and in eighteen seventy one hundred million in the last ten years it has much more than doubled for in eighteen eighty the fleece weighed two hundred and forty millions of pounds could anyone believe that america grows more than double the amount of wool grown in the united kingdom it surprised me to find that such was indeed the case for the fleece of the latter in eighteen eighty was but one hundred and twelve millions of pounds as one travels through britain go where he will he is scarcely ever out of sight or out of hearing of the omnipresent sheep in english meadows and on heather hills the white specks dot the ground in our coaching tour we seemed to pass through endless herds of sheep on both sides of the road while upon this side of the atlantic we scarcely see the innocent creatures and indeed what can be called a flock is the rarest sight yet the stragglers counted upon the five million square miles exceed the crowded flocks of britain whose pastoral beauties they so much enhance mulhall gives the average of wool per sheep in the united kingdom as four pounds and that of america as five pounds which is correct if the southern sheep be not included this is another surprise to me i should have said the average amount of wool upon the british sheep far exceeded that of its seemingly less prosperous transatlantic fellow it is evident that america is more favorably placed for sheep growing than is generally supposed 
there anything i wonder in the agricultural or livestock line in which he cannot excel let me call the attention of my readers to the significant fact that no articles of general consumption have increased in price in america during recent years except beef mutton and pork which have advanced inordinately the opening of european markets to american producers having naturally reduced the supply at home with these exceptions the cost of living has been much lessened the growth of this export trade is seen by the following figures in eighteen seventy the total value of exports of meat in the hoof fresh or preserved was only seventeen million five hundred million dollars or three million five hundred thousand pounds in five years it had run up to nearly seventy million dollars or fourteen million pounds and in eighteen eighty no less than one hundred and seventeen million five hundred thousand dollars twenty three million five hundred thousand pounds worth were taken from the home market america was not prepared to undergo this unexpected drain hence the change in values the export value of beef in eighteen seventy was less than twenty dollars four pounds per head in eighteen eighty it was not far from seventy five dollars or fifteen pounds three and a half beeves were thus supplied ten years ago for the cost of one in eighteen eighty a similar appreciation has taken place in the value of sheep the price of which two dollars eight shillings per head in eighteen seventy one rose to four dollars and twenty five cents seventeen shillings nine years later in live hogs we have the same result though these obtained their maximum value in eighteen seventy four when each hog exported cost more than ten dollars two pounds restrictive legislation in various countries having interrupted the trade prices during eighteen eighty averaged only five dollars or one pound per head but even had no hostile legislation been passed the capacity of this country to supply in a short time any number of hogs required must have occasioned a rapid fall in prices what has happened with hogs must happen soon with cattle and sheep look out for a great fall in these from the figures of eighteen eighty the republic was taken unawares let us see what will be her response after a few years to the demands upon her ever-growing herds to conclude with a summary the farms of america comprise eight hundred and thirty seven thousand six hundred and twenty eight square miles an area nearly equal to one-fourth of europe and larger than the four greatest european countries put together russia excepted namely france germany austria and hungary and spain the capital invested in agriculture would suffice to buy up the whole of italy with its rich olive groves and vineyards its old historic cities cathedrals and palaces its king and aristocracy its pope and cardinals and every other feudal appurtenance or if the american farmers were to sell out they could buy the entire peninsula of spain with all its traditions of medieval grandeur in the flatlands which the hollanders at vast costs have wrested from the sea and the quaint old towns that they have built there if he chose to put by his savings for three years the yankee farmer could purchase the fee simple of pretty switzerland as a summer resort and not touch his capital at all for each year's earnings exceed five hundred and fifty million dollars one hundred and ten million pounds the cereal crop for eighteen eighty was more than two billions and a half bushels if placed in one mass this would make a pile of three and a half billion cubic feet 
built into a solid mass as high as the dome of st paul's three hundred and sixty-five feet and as wide as the cathedral across the transepts two hundred and eighty-five feet it would extend a solid mass of grain down fleet street and the length of the strand to piccadilly thence on through knightsbridge hammersmith and south kensington to a distance of over six miles for it would make a pyramid three times as great as that of cheops if loaded on carts it would require all the horses in europe and a million more thirty-three and a half millions to remove it though each horse drew a load of two tons were the entire crop of cereals loaded on a continuous train of cars the train would reach one and a half times round the globe its value is half as great as all the gold mined in california in the thirty-five years since gold was found there the corn and cotton fields of america form kingdoms in themselves surpassing in size as some of those of europe in eighteen eighty four more than half a million animals were sent to europe alive while nearly a billion pounds of meat were sent over and four years before the total value of meat on the hoof fresh or preserved sent to europe was one billion one hundred and seventy five million dollars two hundred and thirty five million pounds it is hard to realize just what this muster really means if the atlantic could be crossed as the red sea was by moses's host and these animals were placed ten abreast each averaging five feet in length the procession would be fifty miles long such a line the republic sends every year to europe the dead meats being far beyond this however in value for as usual here we find the dead as compared to the living in the great majority of cheese one hundred and thirteen million pounds were exported last year eighteen eighty four while one-fifth that quantity of butter was sent to lay upon the bread which the republic had sent to europe she is no niggard this greater britain she scatters her bounties not only profusely but in palatable portions may her capacity for good works never grow less these enormous food exports suggest serious thoughts concerning the future the populations of the old world are fast increasing without any extension of soil or corresponding increase of productiveness since the beginning of the century one hundred and seventy two millions of europeans have grown to three hundred and twelve millions this is an advance unprecedented in the history of the old world without the enormous shipments of food from america and other places such an increase would probably have been impossible the present consumption of food by europe is vastly greater than its production the deficit per year of grain is three hundred and eighty million bushels more than a bushel for every man woman and child in europe while that of meat amounts to eight hundred and fifty three thousand tons six pounds for every man woman and child the future growth of europe therefore seems chiefly dependent upon supplies of food from abroad mainly from america every addition to the population must be fed for the most part from without the united kingdom is particularly thus dependent mr giffen estimates that twelve millions one-third of the whole population already live on imported food it would be difficult to exaggerate the consequences of this fact ever growing in importance the social and economic changes involved may be of the most radical character no doubt as mr caird and other eminent authorities state that by better and more thorough cultivation the soil of europe and especially that of britain can be made to yield an increase but we assume that this can be obtained only at greater cost and to a small extent the proportion of europeans dependent for food upon the new world 
will probably increase from year to year. Happily, there is no question as to its undeveloped resources, which are capable of extension quite sufficient to meet any possible demand for a period if not quite as far as we are tempted to look ahead, certainly quite as far as we can see ahead, which is a very different matter. When we think over the changes produced during fifty years' march of this republic, we must surely hesitate to speculate beyond what the next fifty years are to bring, and for fifty years ahead, at least, we can see that America can give Europe all the food it can require. Beyond that, let posterity manage for itself. The man who is always telling you what he would have done if he had been there in any given emergency is he who never gets there and none of my readers will ever get there to the day when the republic cannot respond to any call made upon her for agricultural products millions and millions of fertile acres under sunny skies and watered with refreshing showers still lie before us only awaiting the plough to respond with food for man it is in the cultivation of this heritage and the building up of the cities and of the roads and railways and telegraphs which must accompany this work and the erection of schoolhouses and churches throughout the land that the american people will find their proper development not in chasing the fiction of the carrying of merchandise upon the high seas for which they must contend at a disadvantage must less should they call for the building of warships the present lack of a navy ensures the nation a dignified position it is one of the chief glories of the republic that she spends her money for better ends and is nothing worthy to rank as a ship of war to build a few small ships and call them a navy will invite comparison and the rascally comparative must only make the republic ridiculous for she either wants the strongest navy in the world or none if she builds the weakest she builds her ships for the stronger enemy to sink or capture if she ever has an enemy which is to be doubted unless she flaunts before the other powers great monster ships expressly designed to work them injury there is an effort to produce a scare just now in regard to her defenceless seacoast any small power could attack her ports and levy contributions as it is said so any man who walks down broadway may be attacked by a disorderly fellow but no one suggests that we walk about therefore in coats of mail there is not a port of america which could not be efficiently closed if necessary against an assailant before he had time to reach it though there is little prospect that the republic will ever have an assailant if she remains unarmed when nations provide themselves with arms ostensibly for defence offence travels not far in the rear accompanies it as shadow does substance shakespeare tells us how oft the means to do ill deeds make ill deeds done i beseech my fellow republicans to leave to the monarchies of the old world the folly and the crime of building and maintaining these vast engines of destruction the mere possession of which tends to make war between nations which would otherwise have remained at peace of all the lessons which the democracy is given or is capable of giving to people in less advanced stages of political development this ranks supreme that peace has its victory still more renowned than war so far the democracy can congratulate itself that its country's reputation rests not upon conquest nor wars of aggression but upon the nobler foundation of peaceful orderly industrial development men and brethren let us see to it that our representatives do not tarnish this record by stripping the republic of the majestic robes of golden peace and arraying her in the panoply of barbarous war
End of chapter 9. Agriculture.